We're doomed, we're saved. The Biorevolution Podcast. Your hosts, Luise von Stecho and Andreas Horchler. Welcome, Easy. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. We're starting into the second year of We Are Doomed, We're Saved, and we picked a topic that is pretty Jurassic Park-ish. Almost. Almost, yeah. De-extinction. What it's all about, we're going to learn about this in the coming, like, 30 minutes or so. Maybe we start, like always, with quotes. You brought something. Of course. And they actually will come from Jurassic Park this time. So from the Jurassic Park franchise, there are, of course, a number of exciting quotes on the extinction. One is, uh, your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could. They didn't stop to think if they should. And I think that might be the way that we finish this episode by talking about not only Could they, but should they? Yeah. Uh, there's another one which I really like, which also talks about humans trying to influence evolution, which is also from Jurassic Park, which is life will find a way. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds very Hollywood-ish. <laughs> the bottom line is that probably a lot of people don't know and are not aware of how, what the percentage is of creatures that went extinct in the course of time, right? Almost all of them. <laughs> Almost all of them. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And not only the creatures, but the species that entail those creatures. Yeah. 99% of all species that have ever existed on Earth have become extinct. And that's a normal part of evolution. It's normal for species to merge into other species or make room for other species, or at least from the evolution that we have experienced on our Earth, maybe on other planets, If there is life, things might work differently. But for us, that's basically the normal course of evolution. Species go extinct. So what you are saying is that we are so human-focused with everything that our role isn't that big, but probably is associated to some sort of acceleration of extinction? Yeah, absolutely. So there have been, I think, five really big mass extinctions before, where in some cases, for example, I think some 250 million years ago, there was like an almost complete extinction of all sea creatures and uh, also of land creatures. So there's like, I think, 70 to 90 percent, depending on sea or land, of all species went extinct. So that has happened throughout the course of evolution. And there are, I think, five big extinction events. And we're talking about the sixth mass extinction. And that in large extent, is human-made. So we take away, I mean, we have uh, led to the extinction of many species just by, by hunting or over-exploiting them, but we have also just made life very difficult on this planet by just getting rid of habitats where animals, larger animals especially, would like to live. We have increased uh, the temperatures. We have changed the chemical compositions of water bodies of lakes and uh, rivers and oceans. And that just has made life on this planet very difficult for any species that are not humans. Right. Well, also for humans, but we have the means to escape it by, for example, putting on the air condition. And also we're approaching 10 billion on this planet, uh, humans, and that makes it hard for other species by nature, of yeah, course. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, also just to feed our needs, we have just destroyed all the, na or not all, but a lot of the natural habitats just to grow food crops and to have livestock that we use to produce meat and, and all other products that we eat. So basically, yeah, we have taken away all the resources and all the space for many other species. 
very famous extinction, obviously for us, if we stick to the picture of Jurassic Park a little bit, the vanishing of the dinosaurs. Which one of the extinctions was that? In which period of time did that happen again? That's the extinction in the Cretaceous period. That's, I think, like 66 million years ago. And there it seems to be, I mean, there, there have been a number of different theories flying around over the years. But I think uh, the current hypothesis is that this uh, there was the, the meteor impact that can be proven. And that was apparently linked to a global winter. So just the, I think, the ash, ash clouds that were uh, going around were leading to like a really yeah no sunlight and then uh, no growing plants anymore and then the herbivores die and then the carnivores die and uh, that was apparently so the idea is that the bigger the creature the more difficult life got and then it was like favoring the smaller animals which were the mammals back then and they I mean the mammals back then they were really like like rodent like like little rats Mm -hmm, scurrying mm -hmm. around and they then took over there was already some extinction going on among the dinosaurs apparently beforehand which is not linked to this meteor event but this big event was apparently linked to the meteor or at least that's the current hypothesis De-extinction. It's the title of this episode. And um, let's start very generalistic. What is this about? De-extinction bring those dinosaurs back to life or what are we talking about? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, the idea of de-extinction is to bring species of animals and plants. We'll talk a lot about animals today because that's what gets the more limelight, let's say. So de-extinction means to bring species that have gone extinct, that have left the earth back to life by some kinds of means. And it seems very like futuristic or like Jurassic Park uh, kind of idea. However, this has been around for a while. And there's this famous story of the the Heck cattle. (laughs) So uh, the Heck brothers were zoo directors in the 1930s in Germany, actually uh, also unfortunately linked to, to the Nazi regime. But they had this idea to bring back also very Germanic kind of cattle, the aurochs, that yeah. had gone extinct uh, around 1600. So this like Germanic cow was supposed to come back. And what they did then is to do something that's called backbreeding. So they went around and looked for types of cattle that they thought looked like the aurochs. So had like very muscular, very big, furry and long horns. And then they bred based on that. And what they also did is to breed the animals that had the, let's say, the most violent temperament. (laughs) So instead of making, so what we did, for example, with wolves over time, so we selected the friendly ones to actually breed dogs that, yeah, that we can have in our house. And they did the opposite of that. So they tried to, to create a wild animal. It has genetically really nothing to do with the aurochs. But it still it actually still exists, and I think they also put them in some some national park, Poland or Czech Republic, okay. and they're still roaming there. The hack, wow, hack wow, house. yeah, yeah, and 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 they reproduce until this day. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Very yeah. much so. But it, it it's not the real thing. Not it's at not, all. No, it's a lookalike, it's, but it has nothing to do with real right, extinction. Right. Which it's is just, nice for people looking at it. Yeah, but It's yeah. a bred wild cow that yeah. is not an aurochs. Yeah. But there are more current movements that have a lot more to do with the real de-extinction approach. Where do we stand right now? Yeah. So 
there has been one successful de-extinction actually happened. So I need to take a step back to explain a little bit, I think, about how that would work. So the idea is that you have preserved genetic material from an extinct species, and then you clone that into the nucleus, so into the DNA of an existing so-called extant species. And then you have a surrogate mother, uh, if we're talking about animals, for plants would work differently, but for animals you would have a surrogate that is close enough to the real thing. And then you could have this egg that contains the DNA of the extinct animal, put that into the womb of the surrogate mother and then get your extinct animal born. There are slightly different ways to do it. You could also just have a lab-grown embryo and then implant the embryo, I think, into the placenta. I think that's also what's mostly being done. And what you could also do is not to clone the whole genome, but only pieces of the genome. And in the early 2000s, there was indeed one extinct animal that's an ibex, that's Pyrenean goat goatish mm -hmm. kind mm -hmm. of animal All right. and the last one of those had gone extinct i think 99 by a branch falling on its head and they oh, had wow. preserved some dna and then they bred that in another species of goat and they had one successful birth but the animal died shortly after being born because it had some lung deformation but that was a real de-extinction so even though it lived only for a very short moment that was an animal where the species had gone extinct and then was born. Actually, it went extinct twice because the second time, I mean, was the only one of its kind. And then, Am I correct to put in more of an image to this if we're, for instance, talking about mammoth, the extinction that we would... Um pick as a host, for instance, an elephant or yeah, something? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. So, and that would also, if we talk about this kind of de-extinction, it's a prerequisite. So we need right. we need some animal that's close enough in order to actually give birth to yeah. this animal. I'm having yeah. a hard time imagining Tyrannosaurus rex, what the host would be for this kind yeah. of animal. Yeah, so that is indeed true. So that would, is one reason why we cannot bring the dinosaur. The other reason is that we don't have DNA, unfortunately. We don't so like Jurassic, Jurassic Park, yeah, yeah. But it's, I mean, even <laughs> though if we would like to, it's just, it's not possible. So there is no preserved DNA of dinosaurs and there is no way, at least with this kind of like real preserved DNA to bring back the dinosaur. So we have, I think, a time window of maybe 10, 10,000 years or something where we might have well DNA that's preserved well enough. It really depends also where you have the DNA. So in, for the mammoths, the cool thing, or I mean, the, the thing that would make it accessible is that you have the cadavers in the in the permafrost. In the permafrost in Russia. Exactly. Yeah, so exactly. And therefore, so you have this Siberian, like really well, well cooled ground. And there you can actually extract DNA. That I might guess be. We, we, we just had the other other week had a, had a story, a headline about a worm that was coming out of the permafrost. Yeah. And that was viable. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Which is which is amazing. Yeah. In itself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also there are apparently a lot of like, I mean, there are concerns about like uh, diseases coming out of the permafrost of as well. That's absolutely true. In general, I think the mammoth is this poster child of the extinction All because right. it's just this, I think the image is so strong having this woolly, large animal. And I think one one reason for for this the extinction movement, or at least that's like something that scientists cite, might actually be the, the bad conscience that people have about 
bringing species to extinction, which uh, might apply to the mammoth. It's not completely clear if it's climate change or human hunting, but definitely human hunting had something to do with the mammoth going extinct. Mm. And therefore this idea, I think it's like really just this image of bringing back this this massive animal that we killed off. Yeah, yeah. That's speaking to people. And we generally think it's it's beautiful yeah. in a way, you yeah, know. Yeah. So it's a, a poster child, yeah. as you say. Before we dig a little deeper into the motives of this movement, yeah. let's try and get a little deeper into the methods that are applied, because we just touched the surface until now. What are the measures that might be taken for de-extinction reasons to help extinct animals or organisms to, to broaden it even back to life? Yeah. So I, I think in general, I mean, so what you need is DNA. You need preserved DNA. You can get that from fossils or for more recently extinct species, for example, for this Pyrenean ibex, what they did was just to preserve the DNA from the species that or from the specimens, from the organisms that were still alive. And of course, I mean, if we would think about the extinction in such a way, it could, of course, be possible to just save DNA or even save, for example, egg cells from these species in order to have the DNA preservation. For most of the extinct species, where we don't have enough, we don't have complete genomes. For example, for the mammoth, we don't have like a full full genome. So we need to probably, if we want to bring it back, we would have to come up with tricks. So basically the idea would be to patch together a genome for example, for an elephant, put in the gene that makes the fur more woolly or that okay. changes the tusks or something like that. So you would actually over time, and I would imagine that as kind of like a man-made evolution where you just, you don't like produce a one-step mammoth, but you would have over time, you, you make genetic changes and you approach the mammoth by doing that over generations, which would probably, I can imagine a slower process would work better actually to to produce that absolutely fascinating but at the end of the day it wouldn't be a real mammoth then no would no, it? No. It, it it's a it's a makeshift thing yeah, right it, it is and that actually would have been my third quote from one of the leading scientists from revive and restore that is actually one of the main the extinction organizations and he says you can never bring something back that's extinct oh yeah so yeah. basically mm -hmm. You, you will have to make some compromise with the genetic material. So you will, even if you have a full genome and put that into another type of animal, you will still have what is called the epigenetic factor. So everything that surrounds the DNA, uh, you will not have from your, let's say, birth species, but uh, from your surrogate species, from your adopted, your adopting species. Obviously. So in the mm. end, you will still have some genetic changes there. So in most cases, we just don't have the full genomes. So having these kind of like single genes and that it's a little bit similar to the back breeding. So you would select for yeah. certain traits that you feel are mammoth-like mm -hmm. and would keep other elephant-like traits, yeah. for example. And other, other species that I think are getting a lot of attention is, for example, the dodo a case of, of human human made extinction and one apparently uh, one animal where there's also well preserved DNA is the American passenger pigeon and uh, mm -hmm. I, I read like a book about pigeons last year <laughs> which is a great book about pigeons but apparently they were like 
billions of these pigeons flying around the the east coast of the United States, and like the sky went dark okay. when they wow. came. Wow, amazing! Also, they I mean just killed off like complete like forests by eating all all uh, the leaves, and of course, I mean you can imagine those birds also leave some droppings. So there is some questions around the the passenger pigeon <laughs> coming back. Let us talk a little bit about the de-extinction movement. I would be interested in, do you have an estimate how strong this movement is? Not counting people or, or, or scientists, but does it have real traction? I mean, and funding? Yes. Yes, it does have real funding and it does have traction. So Forerunner, I think, is Colossal, the company of George Church. We had him, we talked about him right. a couple of times already, sure. like the... I don't want to say crazy scientist, but he would like come across if you would cast someone for a movie for the extinction to be the crazy scientist, he might. I mean, he's super brilliant, but he also gives off the vibe of taking on projects that others might not want to take on. But he got, I think, I don't remember, I think 15 million or something in seed funding. So quite decent amount of funding. I think actually uh, Paris Hilton was amongst the backers, uh, okay. interestingly. Interesting. So, I mean, there is money in that. That said, I think, I mean, there is more to these stories than bringing back a mammoth. Because what is happening in these companies is, of course, that they are, and that's also one of the roles of George Church. I mean, he's a forerunner in genetic engineering. And having this technology development, I mean, It might actually not be used for de-extincting anything in the end, but you still develop the technology that can be beneficial for many other things. So I think there is, of course, the interest that people have, I think, is, is two-sided. On the one hand, you have this kind of crazy idea that's super exciting in a sense that you actually, as a human, can change the course of evolution in such a drastic way. Yeah. But on the other hand, you're just developing technologies that can be helpful for many different situations. So you, even though you have like this really, let's say the, the sky is the limit kind of idea, you also have something that might make you money anyways. So that what I'm trying to say is like, you don't know what they're backing the people. So Right. So in case you have the extinct organism, Is there any chance of, for instance, developing new drugs out of this material that you gain? Yeah, absolutely. And, I and think that's, that's one motive as well? Yeah, that could be really interesting. I, probably not the mammoth and not the dodo, but there it would probably be. So if we think, for example, about antibiotics, I mean, many of them are right. coming Talked from fungal species yeah. mm -hmm. or coming from other bacterial species even. So there, of course, the extincting A host of fungi could be super helpful, of course. I mean, it doesn't sound as exciting, as sexy as bringing back a mammoth, but might be <laughs> of much more benefit for us and with a lot less ethical concerns also. Also, of course, there are a lot of medicinal plants that might have gone extinct that could be helpful. I just saw something what, of course, could be also really interesting about bringing back um, species that had developed resistance to certain, for example, bacteria. So if you think about, for example, the genome of Neanderthal, excavating antibiotics based on Neanderthal genomes, that could, of course, be also a very interesting path. You could also think about, I mean, you have, for example, a lot of poisonous am amphibians, so frogs that Absolutely. might do something if you lick sure. them. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Maybe bring back some frogs from, from the rainforest um, and there could be something in it. So I think in that, that route, yes, I think there is probably a lot of interesting things to gain, but probably not from the mammalian poster child species. 
let's get to the we're doomed, we're saved part. I mean, the doom comes for those organisms in part, I can imagine, because if I think about, you know, this is an animal that has been extinct for such a number of years and walks the earth again. I mean, what is happening to this poor, you know, individual yeah. in a way? Yeah, right? absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, will will they find their habitat at all? Or are they, in fact, doomed to basically stay in labs? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the key points of criticism, that it's sort of like a freak experiment, yes. uh, similar to the Jurassic Park, because, I mean, what do you do with the animal then? What's the point of this animal? Remote island. Yeah. And also, um, I mean, what does it do both to the animal itself and to the surrogate? And one has to take into account, for example, if we talk about mammoth, the Asian elephant, which would be the surrogate, is itself an endangered species. And I mean, the procedure, it I mean, it sounds like, okay, you can do it successfully. But if you think about this Ibex experiments of the Spanish scientists, I think they, I don't know, they implanted, I think, 250 embryos into goats. Seven goats became pregnant. One animal was born. And that died immediately. So, I mean, there it's not like this is the perfect experiment. Not a good ratio. No, no. It's, it's a very bad ratio. And, I mean, extracting egg cells from animals is also not like a simple experiment. It's not like taking blood. So, think about all that for an elephant that also has a very long pregnancy. That would be like really just from the welfare point of view, the procedure and the stress that's uh, coming with the procedure and the risk to life, to both the mother and the baby. But also... I think there's more to it in the sense that you have this alienation potentially between mother and child because, I mean, it's very hard to imagine having giving birth to something that's not your same species. I actually don't know how that would affect the bond between mother and child. Would it actually be traumatizing or would it just naturally kick in to get the instinct to be a mother to this animal? But also if you have a species that depends on rearing to have to learn social customs, to just get attention and everything. I mean, we don't know, right? We don't Absolutely know if, if, mm -hmm. if that will fit. We don't know if this animal will fit into the group or if it will be really strange for both sides. So that is something, I don't know if it's really necessary or a good idea to put both sides, so the mother and the child or a baby, into this into this position. That said, I can imagine if you would do like a slower process, like thinking about the mammoth, if you just take out, for example, if you just have one one gene changed, maybe that would be much easier to accept. It's the same kind of animal, but it's more furry. Probably you wouldn't think like, oh, that's not my baby, it's too furry. But I could imagine this, this kind of really like more thinking along the lines of genetic engineering type backbreeding would be less traumatizing. But that still, I mean, doesn't take away The factor that you just, I mean, the procedure itself is not necessary. And if we're talking about very sensitive species and species that are already endangered, why would you do it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you need to have a really good point. Yeah. I, I mean, the people in Mauritius would be very happy if the dodo would, you know, stroll there again uh, in, the, in, the, in the forest and stuff like that. But beyond the poster child aspect touristic attraction at the end of the day. We touched on the we're saved part already a little bit, and this goes very much beyond the mammoth, obviously. What is what is the, the perspective here? Will we, in fact, have real benefits from the extinction? 
very soon? I uh, I don't think so, to be honest. No, I think I think what the benefit will be is that we develop new methods for genetic engineering. And I think that will help us do other things that are beneficial. I think the problem of the de-extinction is that it, I think there, there are multiple problems with it. I mean, one thing that you just mentioned, the dodo, it would be really nice to have the dodo back. Sure. But will it actually survive? Because, I mean, the environment has changed so much through us humans changing the environment and bringing invasive species, which are cats, for example, or snakes or rats, and they will just eat the eggs. So, I mean, we can bring the dodo back, but then we have to also put armed guards next to the nest. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, and does that make sense at the end? Yeah, yeah, and does that make sense also in light of having so many endangered species that also need protection? So. That makes it a little bit icky sometimes, I think, to think, oh, but we select which species. We already do that, right? We already say uh, this species we find like appealing, like the panda, for example, but other ones, they are not as pretty or cute, and therefore they don't deserve to live. That's also, again, a very human-centric view of the world. I think really de-extinction really fits. I know we had some discussions about this term, but it really fits the Anthropocene. I mean, this is the technology for the man-made age of the world where we say, now we decide how evolution goes. Will we see any benefits? I think really, if we chose to look for species that could give us, for example, new antibiotics, that could be really interesting. I really think that the mammoth and the dodo will not be any beneficial to have. And it's really a question. I don't know. It's I th on the one hand, I mean, we are shaping nature since we interact with nature. I mean, since we have escaped being prey. <laughs> basically. And Absolutely. We're yes. domesticating other plants and animals. I mean, since then, we are shaping nature. And we're shaping nature not only by interacting with wolves and wheat, but also just by putting a lot of concrete everywhere so nothing else can grow. So also that is shaping nature. But I think with these kind of experiments of creating creatures that might not be natural and they feel it. I mean, there are sometimes these breeding experiments where you mix different species, for example, tiger and lion. And I have the feeling that these animals look very unhappy. I mean, that's maybe also just me anthropomorphizing the situation. But for me, looking at these animals, they don't look like they have a good prospect of life. And I think something similar might be true for this de-extinct species. And I think a thought experiment that's actually quite helpful, I think we're probably close enough to the Neanderthal to do the same thing. Would we do that with a human Would we, like, give birth to a Neanderthal baby from a human surrogate mother? And what, I hope we don't. And what would that mean for us? So I, I think, And maybe extrapolating this thought experiment to would mm -hmm. we want the same thing for an animal? Just for, I mean, if there is really no point except for having this attraction, having maybe soothed our conscience for saying, yeah, but we can bring, we can bring them back. And that also leads to the next point. What would it actually mean? And we had this discussion when we talked about extending lifespans. I think the same thing might be true for de-extinction if the finality goes away. So if extinction is not this like end of the road anymore, this one-way street, if we could just go back, 
would we how much would we care about preserving species if for we the can, bees and you know yeah, yeah everything yeah, yeah true, would we just true. say yeah but we can bring them back later mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. we i mean now we don't have time now we need to fix the climate crisis now we need to deal with the war and with the increasing gas prices and we have a political crisis and oh my god donald trump is coming back we don't have time but in 10 years we can take care of the bees right. and then Maybe in 20, and then maybe in never. A hundred, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, yeah. I think, might be, because we will always have more pressing problems than dealing with the environment in a more long-term perspective. I think that is not, unfortunately, in human nature to be able to think beyond the next step. There we're again with the ethics and behind it and the societal aspects of it. What I would be interested in is would probably still the the wolf story, for instance, serve as a role model for de-extinction? We're not talking about de-extinction with the image of the wolf, for instance, but the re-establishing of wolves because in certain areas even in Germany we have too much deer and so forth and this is a regulatory affair at the end of the day that the re-establishing of wolves I mean all the farmers all the people who are in agriculture are not liking it that wolves are coming back because their livestock becomes prey obviously but on the other hand Could we think of a de-extinction that would help to regulate certain proportions of animals living in a certain area? Yeah, I think yes in two ways. One thing is, of course, bringing back large predators could, for some ecological situations, be helpful. However, I mean, you already said it. I mean, for the wolves, you meet a lot of resistance because obviously people who have sheep Or don't like wolves. Don't like wolves. And I mean, that's also understandable, I sure. have to say. I mean, it's it's very nice to sit like in a Berlin apartment and say like, yeah, I really like wolves. They are very cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you're not very close to them. I mean, that I understand farmers who... We are the urban idiots, yes. Yeah, exactly. So that, I think, might work. But humans are also not very good at predicting what happens to ecosystems by changing them. Usually we bring invasive species and they just wreak havoc amongst ecosystems. So, I mean, we have a hard time predicting what will happen. And just saying, yeah, this will fix problems, I think that will be very difficult. And I think it also only applies to very few species, which might be difficult. I mean, I don't know, like a saber-toothed saber tiger or tiger, something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. The other thing, and that is one argument of the de-extinctionists, is that, for example, the mammoth could be beneficial by trampling the ground and uh, fixing the permafrost. Honestly, I cannot say. I mean, it could indeed be good to have like large grazing herds of grazing animals. To But you would need lots of them. <laughs> yeah, you would need lots of them. One thing that I can imagine, and I mean, I said it a bit jokingly about posting armed guards next to the dodo nests, but I think that having poster child de-extinct animals like mammoth dodo or Yangtze river dolphin or animals that really that humans care about and that are endangered because of humans and i think what could happen is that if you have such an animal that people care enough about that you might actually motivate people to change their behavior to yeah. have areas that are protected and that might actually help a lot of other species as well and there I could see a real benefit because, I mean, we go through lengths to protect the panda, for example. 
whereas we don't care about like maybe all different kinds of spiders or amphibians or birds. And I think having this situation where you have one animal where you care enough about to protect a lot of others, that could be helpful. On the other hand, maybe we could also like just make people care about the animals that are still around. Would be a nice idea as well. Yeah. No question about that. To wrap it up, Easy, where are we going to end with this de-extinction story? I mean, what is possible will be done. So also in the case of de-extinction, and no doubt that a lot of people are interested in those poster affairs, kind of, you know, how predictable is it if it will come to fruition and how realistic is it? I think it is realistic because it has been done already, right? With this Ibex, I mean, yeah, it didn't once. live for long, but right. still. And I think the same thing if you have a close enough surrogate species. Maybe if the concerns are not as big as for elephants and mammoths, I think I think it's going to happen. I am not sure if it will lead anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think it will, for animals, I'm not sure if it leads anywhere. For plants, actually, I think probably we can gain quite some benefits from it. And we have fewer, if maybe no ethical concerns. How do you feel about it, Easy? You're the, the scientist, but you're a human being. So how do you feel about the extinction and all those efforts are, that are put in? I am not as worried about it as about many other technologies. I think it's more what worries me is to put the animals through this for nothing. <laughs> that would worry me, even those 200 goats. I mean, what's the point? Honestly, what's the point? There, um, that that concerns me. I think for the rest of it, I don't see a situation, I mean, where we bring back animals or even plants that really cause major damage. I mean, what might, of course, be is that you accidentally recreate some viruses or uh, bring back some zoonoses that, so like diseases that spread from one animal right. to another or to human. That said, I mean, they're already, we discussed it in the beginning, right? The stuff is already coming out of the permafrost and we already have enough of these issues. So I think that is probably negligible. I think it's really, for me, it's that here the question is really the animal welfare that I would care about. And that, I mean, if you really don't have a point and that doesn't only go for, I mean, for the extinction, that also goes for useless breeding experiments that create animals that have no prospect or few prospects of a happy life just to entertain humans. That is something that I don't find very appealing. Many thanks, Izzy, at that Thank point. You. Do we do we have an idea what we'll come up with next? Not yet. Still in the pipeline? I think we'll come up with something cool. There's a lot of stuff going on. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're doomed. We're saved the Biorevolution podcast with Luise von Stecho and Andreas Reuchler. If you like the show, subscribe to it, leave your comment. We're always happy to hear from you. Thank you. <laughs>